worked for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod at their international center in 2021, you had a hard decision to make. You weren't alone. There were a lot of people in a lot of places that had to make the hard decision. But of course, this struck me because I used to work at the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's International Center. I don't know how many of you know, I was on the radio with KFUO there in St. Louis for a solid year and plus before I was called away from that spot to come up here to Rockford and joined you up here. But if I had still been working there, I would have had the same decision to make. And this was a decision forced upon not only the workers of that church body's headquarters, but upon workers throughout our country because the presidential administration of the United States had given an order. And that order was that you needed to be inoculated. If you were working at the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod at the time and had any reason in the world, any reason in the world, that you didn't want to do that, and I won't go into the details here right now why someone might not want to do that, you can find it online if you want. It's not that hard to find the other side of whatever debate you're listening to. You can find it. The ones who did not want to do it were told Romans 13. Romans 13 says obey the government, and so since the government says to do this, we have to do it. Now, the courts of our land have since decided that the government can't actually tell you to do this, and they've overturned this for almost everyone except for, as you may know, healthcare workers and much of the military, although there are still court battles raging on for various elements of the military. Meanwhile, the post office got to just get off scot-free. Fascinating, and well, God bless them. I don't know how they did it, but they just walked out. Actually, I do know, but I'll leave that for another time. Again, so our courts later discovered that the order was an illegal order. And yet, you had a church telling Christians who worked for the church that they needed to follow the illegal order because God said to. And that's why understanding Romans 13 is so important, so that the next time someone tells you, do evil, the government says so, you don't have to. You don't have to do what an evil government tells you to do. And you should know this. Americans should know this. You, should have, you, you have to know the, the term Nuremberg. Have you heard it? Please. Nuremberg, okay, Nuremberg, the trials that were given to the Nazis because of what they did to the Jews and the Poles, and I just saw an article yesterday, the Irish, I mean, all sorts of people were put to death by the Nazis, and when they were on trial, the officers and captains said, I'm innocent because I was just following orders, and they weren't found innocent. The Nuremberg Code, which stands as a model for international law, found them guilty and gave this prescription for the future that it's actually your duty to disobey an evil order. If your king comes to you and says, do this evil thing, and you know in your heart it's evil, you might be wrong, it's possible, but your heart says you're not wrong, you know it's evil, you are duty-bound to follow your conscience. You're duty-bound to do what is good, not do evil just because somebody told you to. 
And that's where then again, Romans 13 becomes an amazing and excellent rule of thumb for how we should generally treat all authorities that we find in this world. But it is not the 11th commandment. It is an exposition on the fourth commandment, which isn't obey the government, it's obey your father. But I'll tell you, the moment that your father is beating your mother, you need to get between him and her if you're a young man. You need to get her out of that house. And you no longer honor that father because he has taken abuse as the means of his authority. He is a tyrant, not a father. And we all know that, right? We all know that instinctively. But for whatever reason, whatever mass formation psychosis has gotten a hold of our entire country in the last three years or maybe before that, we're willing to do whatever they say as long as they say you should do it. And again, the churches, most of all, have fallen over and listened to illegal authorities. They told us, stop going to church. There were churches that didn't open until this year. That's insane. Not because of anything they say, but because we're Christians. Christians remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Christians are willing to die for their faith rather than to be subject to false gods. And so as again, we're going to look at Romans 13 in total. Let me say again what we heard read a moment ago. What is the real goal here? Is Paul's goal to get you to be a cog in the machine? Or is his goal to get you to see that the good of your neighbor, that is the person who's actually near you right now, the good of your neighbor is more important than your own good. That's the goal. For you to see that the good of your neighbor is more important than your own good. Now we can debate about whether or not it's good for your neighbor to gather in groups during a worldwide pandemic. And some might say it's bad for your neighbor because they'll die. And others will say it's good for your neighbor because they'll die in the faith with courage. And both people have a point and what they shouldn't do is accuse the other one of being evil. But if there is a lie being told in order to convince us to divide ourselves over things that aren't even true, we do not need to obey that. We do not need to say it's okay that they said that. We don't need to listen to them. And if they have lied and been caught in the lie, at a certain point, we need to stop listening to them. Do you know the CDC has no authority? Do you know the World Health Organization has less? I'm not saying that they might not be right again in the future. I'm just saying you should listen carefully and take heed because there are powers at work that care a lot more about profits than they do about you. I mentioned something called the Georgia Guidestones in last service, and I'm going to do it again. I think it's pretty important. If you don't believe in conspiracy theories, that's okay. I don't believe in every conspiracy theory. I do believe evil men talk to each other about what they're going to do. And sometimes they'll even tell you what they're doing. And the Georgia Guidestones are just this. It's a massive million-dollar monument set up on public land in Georgia with a new Ten Commandments for the future of a secular humanity. And some of it's not so bad, but one of them 
means we have to limit the population of the planet to about 10% of what we're actually at now. That the future of the planet needs to have 90% less humans on it than it does now. This is something that someone spent a lot of money to put out there as their religious statement. You can dig a little elsewhere and you can learn about the religion of transhumanism. Transhumanism is a very real belief system in which its subscri subscribers believe that we will reach a point where we will join with the computers. We will evolve and become one with the computers. And at that point, we'll be transhuman. We'll be more than human. And by the way, the word trans is pretty popular these days, isn't it? We'll be more than human. Many of these who subscribe to transhumanism also subscribe to a philosophy called technocracy. Tell me, have you heard that word, technocracy? Put your hands up. Yeah, some of you. You should Google it. Technocracy is a philosophical religious movement from the 1920s that established some work in the basement at Columbia University in Washington, D.C., right next door to fledgling IBM. During the time when the Nazis were involved with IBM, they ended up getting kicked out because their leader was a fraud. Nonetheless, their ideas continued to circle. Their ideas, again, are a philosophical, religious concept that government doesn't work. We need experts to rule. That's the idea. Government doesn't work. The government needs to follow the experts. Maybe you've heard it this way. Follow the science. Technocracy. All right. Why do I bring up the Georgia Guidestones, transhumanism, and technocracy? Because I want you to believe, I want you to know that not everybody thinks like you. That not everybody believes what you believe and that people like Jezebel and Athalia who hate what you believe exist. And that some of the most powerful ones right now really do believe we need to cull the human population of the planet. You might have heard it said like this, if we don't do something, we're all gonna die in 12 years when the planet catches on fire, right? They really believe that if there aren't less humans, they'll call you useless breathers. If there aren't less humans, we can't survive as a species. They see this as imperative. They see the survival of the species as more important than the survival of you. Now, Christianity actually doesn't care that much about the survival of the species because we're convinced it's going to happen because Jesus is risen from the dead, by the way. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So because Jesus has that taken care of and he's promised daily bread and the sun to rise and continue to set all the way through history, the rain's going to come. We're going to have our food. There will be famines, but good days will come back. We believe that. And so we also believe that what really matters is the least of these. Every single human life matters. It's valuable in God's sight. And so even if there were not enough food to go around, you know what Christians would do? They'd share anyway. And they would never believe that less people would be good for the planet, given that God blessed us and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. You know, there was a guy, I'm really off on history right now still, so I apologize for how much time this is taking. There's a guy whose name you should know. His name was Malthusius. Malthusius. He, he wrote in the 1800s, and he wrote that very soon, within a generation, the whole world would starve to death because there were too many people. There was another book written in the 60s called The Population... It's not bomb. Yes, it is. Mm. Population bomb? Okay. Population bomb. Maybe I remember his name by any chance? Ah. 
I should know it. Written in 1960s, the guy was a Malthusian. He subscribed to the idea that, well, Malthusius was wrong, but nonetheless, we have too many people now, even if they didn't then, and soon we'll have so many people that everybody will starve to death. That was the 1960s. It was going to come by the 1970s. The guy's been interviewed. He says, we knew we were wrong. We just needed to turn public opinion. He said that. All the same. The more people that have shown up on the planet, you know what we've had? More geniuses, more inventors, more creators, more fathers and families that work together to pull through it. Every time we've had more people, we've seen positive times come. In fact, you can study this historically with demographics. The only time that things get really bad is when your demographic is shrinking. As long as there are more people, things keep getting better. The economy keeps growing, everything, blah, 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 better and better. If you start shrinking, it gets bad. Well, guess what? Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we've been shrinking for 30 years, on purpose, by the way. I'll leave that for another time. But now they're wanting to do it to the whole planet, and that's what the green energy is all about. So now, all of that, you don't have to even agree with me, right? I'm trying to give you stuff. You can look into it. You can make your own decisions about what you believe is happening right now. But... What I need you to understand is that anybody else who thinks what I'm thinking has not only the right but the commandment to disobey an order which they believe will hurt you. So in the event that the order comes that we're not allowed to have church in the state of Illinois, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to disobey it. I'm going to be here on Sunday morning. And if you're afraid because it might kill you, then stay home. It's all good. It's on video. You can watch it. It's okay. I'm not even mad at you. I'm just not going to make you do anything that isn't what the scriptures say to do. And if they try to make me make you do something that I know is going to hurt you, well, then I'm going to say to you, I think this is going to hurt you, and I'm certainly not going to tell you you have to do it. Huh? So, all right. With all of that said, and I'm going to try not to spend much more time on our context... But the context is important for these first words that Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, which, by the way, you can find that on page 948 of your pew Bible. I'm, I'm trying Greek again here this morning, so bear with me. We'll see how we do. Paul says, first off, every soul to the authorities that have the authority, order yourselves under them. Okay, so here again, this is what you were told if you worked at the International Center. Well, we're just following orders. They say you have to do this, so you have to do this. Look, Romans 13 says, submit to the authorities, so we got to do it. Here's where Athalia's calling out treason is, though. Does everyone who says, I have authority, have authority? And the answer is no. And so a real question always is, what is the actual authority? Does the President of the United States have the power to do things to your body physically? The answer is no. Even though he's the President of the United States, I mean, he, that's great, I'll, I'll respect him where it's due. But I will not submit to what he says that isn't his power to say. So that's, that's the first point here, right? If you're going to obey an authority, you only have to obey authorities that are actually authorities. And just because someone holds an office doesn't mean they have the power to do whatever they want. And now let's take it a step further, and let's get to the point where what if it's a, an evil command? You're the soldier, 
You have a bunch of Jews lined up in front of you. Your officer is telling you, shoot them all in the back of the head. What do you do? Especially since you know if you don't shoot them in the back of the head, what's gonna happen to you? You're getting shot too. What do you do? You have a duty to die that day for the good. We as Christians must recover this conviction if we want to have any effect on the world around us. No one's gonna follow cowardly Christians. Goodness gracious, I am going to get off topic again. There's a gentleman named Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. He's a philosopher and a psychologist. He's a, uh, he's a theist. He's not a Christian. He just got on the Daily Wire, which is fascinating to me how, how he got there. But in any, in any case, uh, Jordan Peterson was, is well known for speaking about human sexuality, men are men, women are women, in a collegiate context in Canada and getting in big trouble for it. As a result of that and some other lectures he's done on the book of Genesis as something that non-Christians should know because it has wisdom in it, he's become incredibly popular. That's the introduction. He released a video this week, three minutes long, called A Message to the Christian Churches. And he tells us to wake up. He tells us that they need us. He tells us to remember what we were and be it again. And that is, in fact, the truth. It's kind of sad to me that I have to hear a non-Christian man telling us what we need to hear. The prophet should be from among us, not from outside of us. So again, the conviction to disobey a wicked order while always following the order to the best of your ability because the last thing you want is chaos. The reason to subject yourself to those who have authority over you is because chaos is bad for everybody. Okay, I mean, you've seen the streets in Rockford, right? Like the roads? I mean, the potholes are one thing, and the way people drive is another. The chaos is bad for everybody. So you submit for the sake of the neighbor, and we're going to get back to that idea again. Okay, so for, he says, uh, not it is the authority, if not from God. And the ones having, no, no, no. Uh, uh, yes, the ones having from uh, having authority are ordained by God. Huh? So order is God's gift. Structure, discipline, peace is God's gift. Hierarchy, patriarchy is God's gift. And it's meant to keep us all in our lanes so we can ride merrily right along back home for a campfire. Like that's the goal of the order is peace and quietness. And so again, Romans 13 wants us to maintain peace and quietness. That's the goal here. Yeah? Verse 2. So the one anti-order, the one against the authority, who stands in such a way, that one of God, he stands against what God ordained. Oh. And again, it's anti-order there. So if you put yourself up against the sword that God has put in place, you stand against God. Now, let's put this in another parable here for a second. I, I think it's, it's so important to see. It calls for wisdom. You're at an ATM. You took out 400 bucks. I don't know what you're doing, but you needed 400 bucks. You turn around, there's some guy with a knife. He says, give me your money or I'll slit your throat. What's the right thing to do? And the answer is, there isn't a right thing to do. 
There are several things you could do, and they will have varying effects. Do you know jujitsu? Can you stop him? Well, feel free. And what happens if you, if you die? Well, I guess you died. Is it punishment from God? Well, maybe. It's hard to know. You just need to do what you think is right. And let God give the measurement and know that even if God's measurement is you die, in fact, you're going to rise from the dead because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Right? But so when the thief is saying, give me your money, guess what he's asserting over you? Authority. He's claiming to be your government. And if you subject yourself to him, he is in fact being your government. Now, if the thief does this and gets away with it, guess what he's going to do next? He's going to do it again. And so if you don't resist the evil government that has put itself over you and say, no, you can't have my money or over my dead body, well then, he's going to continue to be an evil government. Whereas if you are able to resist, help, help, call the police, I don't know. And he gets captured, now you have good government restored. So the question of whether or not you're standing against God when you resist the thief is not the right question. What Paul is talking about is when you have good government and that good government is maintaining order and you try to destroy that order, now you're trying to destroy what God has built. And you don't want to do that. That's the goal here. You don't want to do that. Order is better for everyone. And even, I can say it this way, a corrupted government that's still doing its job, it just has a few people stealing from the top, that's better than no government. If you think things are bad now, wait until the money stops working. It's happened in history before. It's better to have a corrupt government than no government. That doesn't mean follow their evil orders. Yeah? Verse 3. Ah. I'm going to go to English. I thought maybe I could do it. Not there yet. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear from the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Here you see the purpose of government. The reason authority exists is to stop evil and promote good. And that's why we want government. We don't want no government. We want a good government because then they will punish the thief. They will stop the murderer and the rapist. And they will promote good industry. They will want families that raise their sons and daughters to be married and have more families and who create production that isn't just a sophistry or a game but helps everyone's life even more. A good government would want that. And so, again, you have nothing to fear from a good government. What you do have something to fear from is, is an evil government. And this is the trick, again. When the government decides to punish you for doing good, you're in a place that Romans 13 isn't talking about. Now, whether you're there today as Americans, I'll let you decide that a little bit more. I just want to drive home so hard this point that Romans 13 does not mean do whatever they say no matter what. It means do good. Do good no matter what. That's what it means. All right, And you'll find out if they're a good government pretty quick. Because if you're doing good, they're going to reward you. If you're doing evil, they're going to punish you. That's a good government. So, verse 5, Therefore, one must be in subjection that is under order, 
not only to avoid God's wrath, you don't want to oppose God, but for the sake of conscience. And, and that word conscience in your heart just kind of circled that right there. That is what you should listen to. Your conscience can be wrong. And I would contest to you that the psychological operation, the fifth generation warfare that's taking place right now, it is doing it by taking advantage of your conscience. It is manipulating your conscience. The liars know you have a good conscience, and so they're trying to get you to use it for them. Even so, don't go against your conscience. Trust your conscience and let God be the judge. Again, you know that God will judge you as a son, as one whom he has chosen. We've been in Romans 13. We just went through 12 weeks justified by grace, certainly baptized into the resurrection, battling your sin, but with no condemnation at all, ever, because you are elect of God, sons and heirs of the kingdom, regenerated to have minds transformed for spiritual worship and life eternal. That's all before this. Yeah, that's all before this. And so let your conscience be driven by that and then do what you think is right. Now, he talks about what he was talking about before in verse 6. Why does the government exist? And he uses the idea of taxes as proof that the government's there to be good. And put that through your noggin. Yeah? Taxes are the proof that the government's there to be good. For because of this, you must also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Not taxes. They don't exist to, to have taxes. It can feel like that way sometimes. But no, they, they take the taxes so they can do the job. You want cops on the street? And that's an open question these days for some people, isn't it now? You want cops on the street? That's why you pay taxes. So that there's a sword on the street to protect you from the evildoer. Yeah? And so he says, for you, for your conscience, pay to all what is owed them. Right? Do you have a duty to somebody? Follow through on it. It says taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Uh, those words are kind of interesting. The, the word taxes is really the word tribute. It's not taxes in the sense. It's like, you know, if a king conquers another king, he usually would not kill the man. He'd say, okay, so I get 10% of what you make every year. You pay me tribute. So tribute is an acknowledgement of the authority itself. It's saying, I'm going to give you this because I know you're going to protect me. The mafia work the same way. They go around the street every week and say, okay, pay up your tribute and we'll protect you. Yeah. And sometimes, well, it's protection from themselves. Sometimes it wasn't. Many of the ethnic groups in our country had those kinds of self-government because they weren't being protected by the government that was there to protect them. Anyway, I don't want to defend the mafia by any means. Um, but tribute is the point. Tribute. Uh, but then revenue to whom revenue is owed, that word's the word completion. It's the word Jesus says at the end, end of his life on the cross. It is finished. It is completed. It is revenue. Well, the idea here is, again, you are in a relationship with somebody, and you have something that belongs to them, and whatever it is, you need to give it to them. If that's the case, do it. Don't withhold it. Right? I think it's the Proverbs say, if, if, someone, if you have something that is theirs and they ask for it, don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. The word respect here, to whom respect is owed, that's the word fear. It's straight up the most simple word, fear. Fear to whom fear is owed. Huh? And indeed, you see those lights behind you? You look at your, your speedometer and you don't know how you are doing, but the lights are behind you. You pull over and you should be a little bit afraid. 
You should be so afraid that you keep your hands on the wheel. You don't reach for anything down like you're reaching fast. You get out of the car and all this. Whatever he says to do it, right? That's good. You want to be afraid of the police officer because you want him to scare the bad guys. Yeah. And then honor to whom honor is owed. This is where you should still recognize that regardless of what legal battles may be taking place, the currently installed president of the United States is Joe Biden. He is Mr. President. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, this is where chasing Supreme Court justices out of restaurants because you don't like their decision, that'd be the opposite of this. We don't do that. And if one side decides to do that, then again, who are they fighting when they do that? They're fighting God. They're fighting God. So, do what is right. I mean, can it get more simple? Can it get more complex? It's, it's all at once. Oh, no one anything, what we heard read earlier, except to love each other. So the oh, no one anything is like a great moment of gospel in this. You recognize that you have no debts. Pastor, I got a mortgage. I know you got a mortgage, but you have no debts. Jesus is going to pay your mortgage. Jesus is going to buy you food. Jesus is going to take care of your car. The pastor, he didn't this week. You're right. So wait on the Lord. And go to work and do your job. Because he's in charge. You have no debts. They've all been taken care of at the cross. Does that mean that when the cop pulls you over, you don't pull over, you keep going, you're under Jesus' authority? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it means that before you do what you do for your neighbor, recognize that in God's sight, he's got you. You have no debts. Your sins are covered. Your iniquities are gone. And so you only owe now love to your neighbor. You owe God nothing, and since you owe God nothing, you owe your neighbor love. Huh? It's amazing Christian insight there. It's, only Christians can think this way. Nobody else can think this way. Huh? Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. A nice little bit here. The whole Testament written code, every law that there is that's ever been written by God into anything, stone or paper, it is all summed up in one law. He's going to say that, right? The commandments, you shall not murder, don't kill your neighbor. You shall not commit adultery, you don't sleep with his wife. You shall not steal, don't take his stuff. You shall not covet, you know, be content with what you have. And any other commandment, because there's quite a few more of them, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The whole point is to seek the good of the other. Which again, is why you must disobey an order from an authority that wants you to do harm to somebody else. Because you need to love your neighbor. Now, I had someone say to me recently, and I, and I wasn't sure what they were saying, that they said something like, um, you know, all the other commandments, you know, whatever, love is the real commandment. And I kind of, whatever. No, no, no. You do define love as don't commit adultery. Right? Love is not a reason to commit adultery. He's not getting rid of the other commandments. He's not saying it's okay to murder since you love people. The point is that the meaning of not committing adultery, the meaning of not coveting, the meaning of not stealing is love. And so if you're in a scenario where you have to decide what to do and there's no clear commandment on it, try to do what's good for the person who's near you. So again, let's try this one on. Let's say the president says one thing, the governor says another thing, the mayor says a third thing, and the sheriff says a fourth thing. Who should you listen to? 
Well, first off, are they saying good things? Are they saying things they have the power to say? And then who's closest? Who's actually your authority? Huh? Kind of important. They've tricked us into thinking the world's our, our doorstep, and it's not. Your neighbor is actually near you. Huh? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Verse 11. Oh, and now here we have a big shift. Big shift, right? Because, he's about to say, you know it doesn't matter that much, right? You know all your fears and your hopes and your dreams about an amazing life? It, it doesn't matter that much. You know that, right? Because, here it is, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. All of that means the end of the world's almost here. The end of the ages has come upon us already in Jesus Christ. And whatever we do here is merely a tarrying, a sojourning. It is not the place finally to put down roots. Don't get me wrong, it's good to have some roots. But finally, those roots are going to be uprooted. And you have to know that ahead of time. And so again, let's go back to that. It should be really easy, but it's scary that moment where you're the soldier and your officer says, shoot the people in the back of the head and you say, I can't, and you get killed too. So what? God bless you. What a courageous life. For such a time as this, you were born to die a martyr. That's Paul's point here. You know the time. Remember who you are. So what if we live in a corrupt country where they're funneling our money overseas and devaluing our currency and setting up a scenario where it's going to be much harder to make a glorious first world living in the next generation. Maybe that's exactly what we need. Maybe the more that marriage and the understanding of man and woman fall apart, the more you'll have young men and women needing to go somewhere where they have support and they'll seek out a church where they can be taught about truth and learn to believe in the value of family again. So never assume that just because the government is doing this or that or whatever, that it isn't for your good just because it hurts a little. You know where we live. This is the tribulation. This is the time of trial. Do not be surprised when the fiery test comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. Rather, and I'll quote a church father here, do not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope, but lift up your head all the more as you know the day is approaching. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Uh, the, I kind of want to look at the Greek there on that one. Um, once that's the end of verse 12. Uh, yes. Uh, end of verse 12. There we go. Yes. Um, let us therefore uh, unveil from yourself the works of shadow. Right? It, it's, it's not just put off. It's like when I take this thing off, right? You have something on that's covering you, and you got to take the whole thing off. That's the word, okay? And then it's the works of shadow. <sighs> Unveil the works of shadow is the first half. And then it's not just put on, it's, it's dawn the ordinance of light. I'll come back to ordinance, but dawning is the same word that was used a few moments ago to say that the government does not don the sword in vain. 
They don't, they don't bear the sword in vain. They, they put it on. So you're strapping on the sword. You're putting on the armor. You're cloaking yourself entirely, both for defense and offense, in this ordinance of light. It's not the normal word for armor. It has both defensive and offensive capabilities, right? So you, you're in the military and you go get your ordinance. It's going to involve a, jet, a vest. It's going to involve a gun, right? It's the whole thing. So what is the ordinance of light, right? Well, it's not a sword. It's not a gun. Huh? It's the word of God. What you're doing right now, as you listen to me walk us through, in our context, as best as I can, what this text says, you are donning the ordinance of light. You are having your mind transformed by submission to the word of God. And Paul says, keep doing that. Huh? And I've been saying to you for a year, do it at home too. Yeah. Open that Bible at home. Read Romans 13 again. Pick up the Psalms. Find your way to Psalm 119. Just take eight verses a day. It will improve your spirit in ways you can't imagine. I was thinking about this again just recently. I got, I got two stories here and I got time to tell. That's good. Um, I made a mistake last December. I had a young man come and visit the church. And he was connected to the academy where I do take jiu-jitsu lessons. We've been there for, for many years. He came to visit the church and he said, I have a radical open mind. I want to know why you do what you do. I've got almost no experience with this. I want to know what you're about. And I, I gave him my best apologetic for the resurrection. I said, Jesus is risen from the dead. We believe that. That's why we do what we do. And he didn't come back. I made a mistake. I should have said what I said. But I should have said this too. If you want to know why we do what we do, I need you to come here every week for a year. I need you to be here every time we do something for a year. Be part of who we are as a people. Give your mind and heart over to learning what we believe. And when I tell you go home and do something, you go home and you do it. And then after a year, you'll get it. You'll get it. You'll know why and you won't want to let go. I haven't had the chance to say that again until just now, and I'm saying it. But I encourage you, anytime you talk to a visitor, same thing, same thing. Why do you do what you do? Well, you got to come and check it out for a while. And the funny thing is, where I really learned that is because I know if I just go and do one session on the jiu-jitsu mat and then think I know jiu-jitsu, I don't have a clue. But after a year of being there, I'm starting to get it. Starting to get it. This is a journey, and the journey is one of a daily repentance, a daily renewal, an ongoing resurrection taking place by your mind, being fed the word of God that is more powerful than the lies everybody else is saying. So to don the armor of light, again, is to put it on every day and know that that is indeed God's will for you in this life. From there, you can know that if you stand before kings or counselors, you don't even need to prepare what you're going to say because God will give you the words in that day. Not from heaven itself, but from the Bible, from the scriptures. Okay, back to the English here. Did I tell two stories or one? Now I can't remember. That's okay. Uh, I might have merged them together. So, armor of light. Let us rock properly as in the daytime. Again, that means... Stand up straight, know God is with you, 
Don't do anything you'd want to hide from other people. Walk openly and courageously. And then here's some things not to do. It says not in orgies or drunkenness. Uh, the word orgies there doesn't have any sexual connotation to it. There's, there's going to be a thing to not do sexually in a moment. But the word there is revelry, right? Um, you know, what, what a lot of people send their kids to college to do for four years, don't do that. Don't do that. Not in drunkenness. Well, the same thing. The word there is related to methamphetamines, by the way. Methane. It means to lose your mind. You know, substance abuse. Not in sexual immorality. The word there is just like betting people. Not betting people. And sensuality, that's more like fornication. Right? Uh, not cheating. Not stealing someone's daughter for your own toy. And vice versa. Not in quarreling. The word could be translated just as strife. Not stirring up divisions needlessly. Right? And not in covetousness. Uh, not in desiring things you don't have and living a life generally unhappy because you just want more and more. And go back to the taxes idea for a moment. I don't like paying my taxes. I know I don't like paying my taxes and I know why. It's because I'm covetous. It's not because I think they use it for evil. I know that too, actually. But that's not why I don't want to give it. I just want it for myself. Why? Am I going to spend it? No, I'm just going to put it in the bank and feel good. Look at, well, feel good, maybe. Feel like maybe I feel better, but I should have more, and then I'd feel good. Right? That's the lie of the whole thing. That's the confusing fleshly desire for the present to last forever, and it's ultimately a lack of trust in Jesus. If I just have enough money in the bank, then I won't have to worry about God doing anything to me that I can't take care of. Chief of sinners. Chief of sinners. Covetousness. It's in us all on some level. Not in covetousness. When he says don't walk in covetousness, then they'll hear this. It doesn't mean don't ever feel covetousness. It means don't let it rule you. Don't let it lead you. Don't be deceived by it. Learn to spot it. Learn to see what your hand's going to do before you do it. And pull it back. Put on. That's the dawning word here. Again, dawn the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Listen to the word, not to your opinion, not to your feelings, not to what you want. Follow your conscience, but tie your conscience to the word. And then trust with certainty that God is able to make you stand in this day. We just have like three minutes before my normal goal for time. And so I do want to review briefly here as we go. So we talked about a lot, a lot of different things. And I, I want to make it clear to you that my goal for us as a congregation will be that we will always promote good order. Because good order is from God. I also would like us to be people who are innocent as doves, yet wise as serpents. And so just because someone comes to your door and says, I'm here to help you, you don't necessarily believe them. Rather, you learn to test the spirits, as St. John says. And that doesn't just mean know the difference between the Trinity and anti-Trinitarians. It means know the difference between someone who's a thief and a liar and someone who's not. I also really want us to give ourselves to prayer. That we would pray for all of our leaders in every place. Certainly pray for the President of the United States, that he would have a clear mind. And I mean that. That he would have a clear mind and that he would do good. And that if he won't do good, if he's going to be evil, that God would bring his wrath down upon him and replace him with someone who will do good. 
I'd like you to pray that not only for him, but for all nine Supreme Court justices, for every member of the House of Congress, for every senator that's there, for every governor, but especially for your governor. I'd like you to pray that for every sheriff that you know exists, especially our own local one, for all of our representatives to Springfield, for the mayor of Rockford. Every single one of them deserves your prayers, that God would give them a clear mind and wisdom, that they would do good, and that if they don't do good, that God would bring his wrath upon them. I want us to be a people who aren't afraid to know that's what God wants from us. And so we'll do it. We'll pray for these things. And I want you to be a people who believes that we are a church of people desiring good. That in our own midst, we have no place for lies. And if we have to debate over what is the truth from somebody out there far away who says something, it's not a reason to hate each other. We can actually disagree about the value of face strappings preventing this or that, whatever. We can do so in such a way that we let all the chips fall where they may, but here we give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. And then I want you to pray this with me. This story has been on my, my mind for some time. I mean, back in 2020, I started thinking we were headed for rough times, and then I started looking for the news on it, and I found it, unfortunately. But I started thinking we were headed for rough times, and I started praying, Jesus, is St. Paul Lutheran Church going to survive? And what I was led to read was the story of Abraham pleading with God about Sodom and Gomorrah and asking God, don't destroy the wicked city, because that's what I was actually doing. I'm saying, Jesus, don't destroy the United States. Jesus, don't destroy the state of Illinois. Jesus, don't destroy Rockford. I mean, God, wicked city after wicked city. And what does God say? He says, well, for 50 men, I won't. Abraham says, what about 40 men? What about 30 men? What about 20 men? What about 10 men? For 10 men, I will spare the city. And now I'm not praying just for the U.S. and Illinois and Rockford. I'm praying for St. Paul Lutheran Church. Jesus, you're going to spare us? For 10 men, I will spare the city. I don't know if you know, but the definition of a synagogue is where there are 10 men who worship God. 10 Jewish men who worship God, you have a synagogue. You know where they get that idea? It's from that bit with Abraham. So I've been praying. Ladies, bear with me. Don't be feminist. I've been praying for 10 righteous men of every generation to be here at St. Paul. That means 10 righteous men in their 70s, 10 righteous men in their 40s, 10 righteous men in their 20s. We're not quite there, but we're awful close. He's been answering this prayer. So I want you to join me in this prayer. Preserve the families, Jesus. Protect the good that we love here. Give us days of peace and quietness. Take away the reign of Athalia and put in place the reign of Jehoiada. The high priest who foreshadows, of course, Jesus Christ himself. Let us be such a people in this time and teach us not to love our lives even unto death. So that if you would raise us up only to show us on display as martyrs for the cause, we would walk headlong into that gas chamber. Along with whoever else they want to send there because we believe it's better to love your neighbor than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. It's better to be in the house of your God than to follow evil guidance. In the name of Jesus. Amen.